Chapter 53 of Cripps the Carrier by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 53 This Will Do. Mr. Sharp's young horse, being highly fed and victualled for the long ride to London, and having been struck in the eye unjustly, and jarred in the brain by the roar of a pistol and the whiz of a bullet between his pricked ears, was now in a state of mind which offered no fair field for pure reasoning process. A better disposed horse was never foaled, and possibly none setting Dobbin aside, as the premier and quite unapproachable type, who took a clearer view of his duties to the provider of corn, hay, and straw, and was more ready to face and undergo all proper responsibilities. Therefore he could not be fairly blamed, and not a pound should be deducted from his warrantable value, simply because he now did what any other young horse in the world would have felt to be right. He stared all around to ask what was coming next, and he tugged on the bridle, with his four feet out, as a leverage against injustice, and his hind legs spread quite apart, like a merry thought, ready to hop anywhere. At the same time, he stared with great terrified eyes, now that the man who had involved him in these perils and now at the darkening forest which might hold even worse in the background. Mr. Sharp was not in the mood for coaxing, or any conciliation. His left foot was crushed so that he could only hop, and to put it on the ground was agony. His own son had turned against him, and a contemptible clod had outwitted him. Disgrace and ruin and death stared at him, and here was his favorite horse, a rebel. He fixed his fierce eyes on the eyes of the horse and fairly quelled him with fury. The eyes of the horse shrank back and turned and trembled and blinked and pleaded softly and then absolutely fawned. Being a very intelligent nag, he was as sure as any sound Christian of the personality of the devil, and far worse than that, of his presence now before him. He came round whinnying to his master's side, as gentle as a lamb and as abject as a hangdog. He allowed the lame lawyer to pick up his whip and to lash him on his poor back without a wince and to lead him, when weary of that, to a stump from which he was able to mount again. Thank you, you devil, cried Mr. Sharp, giving his good horse another swinging lash. It is hopeless altogether to ride after the cart. That part of the play is played out and done with. The pious papa and the milk and water missy rush into each other's arms. As for me, well, well, I have learned to make a horse obey me. Now, sir, if you please, we will join the ladies, gently because of your master's foot. He rode back quietly along the track over which he had chased the carrier's cart, and his foot was now in such anguish that the whole of his wonderful self-command was needed to keep him silent. He set his hard lips and his rigid nose was drawn as pale as parchment, and the fire of his eyes died into the dullness of universal rancor. No hard-hearted man can find his joy in the sweet, soft works of nature, any more than the naked flint nurses flowers. The beauty of the young May twilight flowing through the woven wood, and harboring like a blue bloom, here and there in bays of verdure, while upward all the great trees reared their domes once more in summer roofage, and stopped out the heavens, while in among them, finding refuge, birds, before the dark fell on them, filled the world with melody, and the hushing rustle of the well-earned night was settling down. Through all these rode Mr. Sharp, 
and hated every one of them. Presently his horse gave a little turn of head, but was too cowed down to shy again, and a tall woman, darkly clad, was standing by the timber track, with one hand up to catch his eyes. "'You here, Sentimenta!' cried the lawyer with surprise. "'I have no time now. What do you want with me?' "'I want you to see the work of your hand, your only child, dead by your own blow.' Struck with cold horror, he could not speak, but he reeled in the saddle with his hand on his heart and stared at Sentimenta. "'It is true,' she said softly. "'Come here and see it. Even for you, Luke Sharp, I never could have wished a sight like this. You have ruined my life. You have made my people thieves. The loss of my children lies on you. But to see your only son murdered by yourself is too bad even for such as you.' never meant it. I, I never dreamed it. God is my witness that I never did. I thought his head was a great deal thicker. Sneerer as he was, he meant no jest now. He simply spoke the earnest truth. In his passion he had struck men before and knocked them down with no great harm. He forgot his own fury in this one blow and the weight of his heavily loaded whip. If you cannot believe, she answered sternly, supposing him to be jeering still, you had better come here. He was a kind, good lad, good to me, and to my last child. I have made him look very nice. Will you come, or will you go and tell his mother? Luke Sharp looked at her in the same sort of way in which many of his victims had looked at him. Then he touched his horse gently, having had too much of rage, and allowed him to take his own choice of way. The poor horse, having had a very bad time of it, made the most of this privilege setting an example to mankind, whose first thought is not sure to be of home. The poor fellow pointed the white star on his forehead towards his distant stable. Oxford was many a bad mile away, but his heart was set upon being there. Sleepily, therefore, he jogged along, having never known such a day of it. While he thought of his oat sieve sweetly, and nice little nibbles at his clover hay, and a comfortable soothing of his creased places by a man who would sing a tune to him, his rider was in a very different case, without one hope to turn to. The rising of the moon to assuage the earth of all the long sun fever, the spread of dewy light, and the quivering of the nerves of shadow, and then the soft, unfeatured beauty of the dim tranquility, coming over Luke Sharp's road, or flitting on his face, what difference could they make to his white despair? He hated light. He loathed the shade. He scorned the meekness of the dapple, and he cursed the darkness. Out of sight of the road, and yet within a level course of it, there lay, to his knowledge, a deep and quiet and seldom troubled forest pool. This had long been in his mind, and coming to the footpath now, he drew his bridle towards it. The moon was here fenced out by trees and thickets of blackthorn, an ivy hanging like a funeral pall, except that here at the lip of darkness one broad beam of light stole in and shivered on gray bowls of willow and quivered on black lustrous smoothness of contemptuous water. To the verge of this water Luke Sharp rode, with his horse prepared for anything. He swept with his keen eyes all the length of liquid darkness, ebbing in the blackness in the distance, and he spoke his last words. This will do. Then he drove his horse into the margin of the pool till the water was up to the girths, and the broad beams of the moon shone over them. 
Here he drew both feet from the stirrup irons and sat on his saddle sideways, sluicing his crushed and burning foot and watching the water drip from it. And then he carefully pulled from the holster the pistol that still was loaded, took care that the flint and the priming were right, and turning his horse that he might escape, while the man fell into deep water, steadfastly gazed at the moon and laid the muzzle to his temple, justly careful that it should be the temple and the vein which tallied with that upon which he had struck his son. A blaze lit up the forest pool and a roar shook the pall of ivy. A heavy plash added to the treasures of the deep and a little flotilla of white stuff began to sail about on the black water in the commotion made by man and horse. When Mr. Sharp was an office boy, his name had been Little Big Brains. End of chapter 53